Welcome to Welcome to the Uncharted Territories. I'm Max. And I'm Tina. And we're here with Season 2, Episode 15 of Farscape. Won't get fooled again. And this honestly might be my favorite episode of Farscape. Yay! I was so worried I was overselling it. I love this episode. Also, this is the episode I'm going to introduce people to Farscape with. If I ever get the chance to introduce someone to Farscape, I want to be like... This is the first episode you should watch. You don't think you need a grounding in Farscape to start off here? No. <laughs> okay, so... I, fi- I think this is Farscape in its purest form. We need a term here. Okay. What is the opposite of gaslighting? Like, what is it if you're not trying to trick someone into thinking that they are losing their mind by lying to them... But instead, if you're just behaving in such an outrageous manner that they lose their mind out of frustration. Like, what's the word for that? Because that's what's happening to John in this episode. There's a... There was a webcomic I read 11 million years ago where one of the characters talked about, she was like, the way to get away with crimes is to commit crimes that are so absurd that the police feel stupid writing you up for them. Well, it's very similar to what Matilda says in Matilda about the Trunchbull, right? The reason she gets away with it is because nobody believes... The kids when they describe the horrible things she does to them. Yeah. Because it does sound like little kid exaggerations. Right, yeah. Ugh. So, we should get into this episode. Mm-hmm. Just jump right in. This episode was directed by Rowan Woods and written by Richard Manning, both people we have seen many times before on this show, which makes sense because despite your insistence that you would use this as the opening salvo for Farscape, I feel like this is this episode is like dessert after you've consumed <laughs> enough Farscape that the absurdity is humorous. So, we open with rocket footage this stuff is all in the public domain right that's the thing about rocket footage it belongs to everyone that is correct yeah and it's it's the same footage we got from the pilot right so this is what we're seeing we're seeing john taking off in the farscape one we see his friend who i thought should be the main character before they made john goofy in the rest of the show yeah he was kind of straight laced in the first episode he was kind of joe everyman-ish and they kind of got rid of that Well, they kind of introduced John as the one sane man that all of the wildness circulates around, right? That trope. Yeah, he's he's the straight man. But then the more we get to know John, the less that is the case. He's also been softcore losing it throughout the course of the show, I think. You are not wrong. And... Wait till next season. Mm. So, uh, John's friend DJ... DK. DK is like, hey dude, looks like you're kind of blowing up a little bit. And John's like, that's not good. It's not what you want. Weirdly, it is what he wants. Because then we get the moment where he goes through the wormhole... But instead of actually going through the wormhole and meeting a bunch of aliens and having a lot of alien adventures, instead he just wakes up in a hospital and learns that supposedly he crashed and his dad is in the hospital. I love that they start us off in this hospital room that is 
so much looking like a community theater production set. Like, it, nothing about this looks real. Like, the walls are neon green and there's no set dressing. Like, they start you off with, this is definitely not real. Okay, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to put this out there. This is like if normal again didn't suck. Wow. Now that's interesting because you said this might be your favorite episode of Farscape and... Normal again is my least favorite episode of Buffy by a lot. Interesting. Well, because it's all about my least favorite trope, which is, oh, maybe the character's actually crazy. And they've been in an asylum the whole time and, you know... It's so lazy. It is the laziest storytelling thing you can do. It's it, it it's like an ableist version of it was a dream the whole time. Right, and it's lazy because it constricts the story instead of letting the story expand. I, I have talked about this before, but both it was all a dream stories and also it, it, it was all a delusion or... Ashes in a coma. Yeah. All of those stories, or or Phoebe is just a, a person standing outside of Central Perk looking at the friends and imagining what their world must be. Oh, God. We get it. You're edgy. It's the worst. Well, all of these things just make the stories smaller. And it, it's a, you don't need to do that. Like, what, what purpose is it serving? And I'm all for headcanons. I just don't understand a headcanon that adds nothing. Ah, it's by far my least favorite thing. And what I like about this is that John's immediately like, no, A, like, the title of the episode is Won't Get Fooled Again. We already did this. Yes. I know what's going on here. This is stupid. I mean, it's a whole episode of him calling out what a huge, awful cliche this storytelling trope is, which is why I like this episode so much, because it's my least favorite storytelling trope. Also, we've never done, like, visual guides or anything like that, but I think that you should check our website. I'm, I'm committing to it now, unless I cut this. No, I'm committing to this. That you should go to our website, uh, www.welcometotelevision.net, mm. or, and I will also post it on our Twitter, which is at I Love TV Zines. And just, this episode needs a visual guide. You need to see what John is seeing. So... This also kind of heralds a return of a theme that I feel like got dropped really early in the show, which is Wizard of Oz references. Yes, there are so many Wizard of Oz references in this episode. John talks about, uh, John wakes up in this fake hospital room and he talks about feeling like a house dropped on him and his dad's like, oh yeah, his dad's there. And his dad's like, eh, yeah, because Oz, yeah, I get it. John's like, thank God, finally, somebody gets my stupid pop culture references. Except not really. Really, he's like, oh no, won't get fooled again. This nonsense again. And he starts fighting and Aaron comes in and she's the doctor. And she has the orderlies restrain him because we're, we're going full one flew over the cuckoo's nest here. Mm -hmm. I want to point out that Claudia Black is credited 
not as Aaron soon. I mean, not just as Aaron soon, but as her character here. I, I don't know if this is what they do in the full episode, but this is how it is in the Amazon Prime episode. Mm-hmm. She's credited as Doctor Bettina Fairchild, the the doctor's name. Yeah. Which makes sense, right? Because that, that is the character she's playing in this episode. Right. Aaron does not appear in this episode. So John is explaining to. Aaron, that they were on a commerce plane. Not Aaron. Dr. Bettina Fairchild. Yes. John is explaining to Dr. Fairchild that he was on a commerce planet, aliens, etc., etc. Something must have happened. Maybe the weird cricket people got him again. And the doctor's like, tell me more about these weird cricket people. And he's like, oh, we're doing this. I like that John asked her, he's like, are they listening to us? Is that why you can't talk to me? Because remember, in the last kidnapping and messing with your head episode everyone was real like it was actually Aaron and Dargo and Rigel I mean spoilers here it's not this is not actually Aaron I do love how John's just kind of rolling with it he's like okay this is a fake scenario but I'm gonna play along until I find out what kind of fake scenario it is and how to get out of it and Aaron's like that's nice (laughs) yeah John's like oh I just I'm disoriented because after the crash, I I had a dream that I was on an alien ship and it was scary. But now I'm back on Earth. I'm totally on Earth. I'm not going to hurt anyone. You can let me go do whatever. And Dr. Fairchild's like, you called me Aaron. And he's like... Yeah, you look a lot like some lady I know, except you're hotter and I want to, you know, like, have man-on-woman sex with you. He actually tells her that she looks like an old girlfriend of his, which is accurate. Not a lie. I mean, I, I don't think they've defined the relationship yet, but you know, you know what I mean. Yeah. They, they're they a couple now, right? We can, we can call them a couple now, sort of. So Dr. Fairchild's like, yeah, okay, he seems sane enough. Let him out of the chair. (laughs) So he's walking down the hall and he walks past the woman's locker room and he says the title line, woo, won't get fooled again. Because you'll remember last time this happened, he was only able to see things that were already in his head. So when he went into the women's bathroom, there was nothing there because he had never been into that room. Well... This time, he opens the door to the women's bathroom, and there's a woman in there, and she's like, dude, what the hell? And he's like, oh, sorry, my mistake. Thought it was unisex, and she's like, not on this planet. Also, he notices that the newspaper actually has new headlines, because that was the other thing. In the last time this happened, all of the newspapers and magazines were ones he had already seen before. Mm. So... John goes up to his dad in the lobby and he's like, sorry about the whole earlier thing. I'm uh, definitely believing that this is the real world and all. And then DK shows up and he's like, hey, buddy. And John's like, oh, they got the actor this time. It's weird, too, because, I mean, John doesn't say it because, you know, he doesn't. But the earlier footage of DK that we have at the beginning of this episode is... He had the long hair. Yeah, because it's the footage from the first episode, so he, you know, he has had a significant haircut between then and now, but nobody's going to mention that because that's not part of it. It's just because it's a year and a half later. 
the actor cut his hair at some point. They're, they're not getting a wig. Yeah. Anyway, he tells John that John needs to straighten up and fly right because Ayasa's is very upset that he made a mistake and crashed this expensive module. And John's like, I am not getting sucked into this drama that doesn't even really exist. It's kind of funny because he's he's playing along, but he's also like, look... I'm playing along, but I'm doing the bare minimum to maintain, you know, oh, yeah, I'm in the delusion or whatever, fine. But I'm not getting emotionally invested in any of the fake stuff you're bringing up here. (laughs) So, have you ever lucid dreamed? Which is having a dream where you know that it's a dream? Not really. I mean, I feel like my dreams are basically movies. Mm. I don't really feel like I have control in them. Well, so that's what I was going to say. I, when I was in high school, I used to do the things that you're supposed to do to train yourself to lucid dream. The red ball thing? No, that's just from American Dad. That's not a real thing. Although one of the things that you're supposed to do is like periodically throughout the day, you ask yourself, is this a dream? And then your body gets used to doing that. And then when you're dreaming, you ask yourself within the dream, is this a dream? But... Sometimes I will have lucid dreams where I'm aware that it's a dream, but I still can't control it. Hmm. So I'm, I'm, I'm just saying I feel for John here. Also, once I had a dream where I was like, oh, wait, this is a lucid dream. And I asked my friend that I was with, is this a dream? And he was like, no, no, it's totally not. It's totally real. And it was a dream. And then when I woke up and I told him about that, he's like, yeah, fair. I, I totally would lie to you in that scenario. It's Freddy Krueger and you. <laughs> yes. But like passively but instead of trying to kill me in my dreams we just got lunch anyway back in farscape john is being sent to a psychologist because he's been physically cleared but they need to make sure that mentally he's fit for duty and he mentions when he walks into the office how very hot it is in there Mm. and he tries ordering a pizza Yeah, he basically calls a number he knows that is a pizza number. I know this isn't our Charmed podcast, but if we were doing a time freeze here... Remembering phone numbers. Yeah, right? Like, I can call my parents. I can call my best friend from middle school. Or at least probably his parents' house. Mm Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's it. I think that is all of the phone numbers I have memorized. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, the point is John knows the number of this pizza place, and he's he's testing the limits of the illusion, right? Like, how far out can I push it? And, you know, he calls the pizza place, and they act like they're a pizza place. And then the shrink shows up. And it's Zan in a suit. It's good. Bald and blue and in a suit is a really hot look for her. I'm honestly kind of... I mean, I guess I'm not super surprised Zan's not more of a queer icon, because I feel like Farscape is not super mainstream. It even. is definitely not mainstream. And it's not, like, mainstream adjacent in a way where this show would have a queer following. But you're right, the queer kids on Tumblr need to discover Zan. Hmm. So, John is like, okay, you are blue. And she's like, okay, racist. <laughs> yeah. Just, do you have a problem with people of color? Which is... God. Ugh. Such a terrible line, but like... So, there is there is a thing 
way back in the day when comics were trying to be socially responsible or whatever, I bet you know the scene that I'm thinking of where the black guy calls out uh, Green Lantern for being racist Mm -hmm. because he's like, I see you protect the purple people and the blue people and the green people, but you don't ever do anything for the black people. And it's supposed to be like, oh my God, it's this big moment. And it's like, I mean, Hal Jordan is definitely racist. Yup. So I'm glad you said that because it like brings it back around. It's, it's... It's funny that Zan's like, do you have a problem with people of color? And John's like, I have a contextual problem with aliens on Earth. But it is an awkward line, specifically because there's that whole trope of like, oh, I don't care if you're black, brown, or purple. And it's like, oh, so that's how dehumanizing there are no purple people you're just dehumanizing anyone that doesn't have your experience so there's i feel like that's what makes this line awkward but also it's it's just absurd so it's fine yeah and this episode's just gonna get more off the wall from here zan does admit that she's an alien when john asks her even though supposedly this is an earth that has not made alien contact yeah she's like look we're not here to talk about me. We're here to talk about you. And he's like, okay, why don't we do unity? Grab my face. And she's like, and he's like, we're supposed to be having brain sex right now. And she's like, hmm, we just jot that down. So I, I like this too, because I mean, John was hoping he was, he was holding out some hope that for whatever reason, she couldn't break the charade but that it actually was Zan and that they would do unity and they would be able to communicate telepathically but nope she's not Zan he put his forehead on her forehead and nothing happened the spark wasn't there so did the unity they did way back in the day does that still connect them at all or is that not really a connection they can use anymore because it's been too long since they brain fornicated that's a good question i'm pretty sure they never use it again so so it's only something you can use like right after it happens yeah yeah so john's trying to figure out who is doing this to him he's like on and such continuity porn he's like oh maybe it's maldus or maybe it's talene the woman from the delvian episode that we saw yeah yeah she's a pretty deep dive I would say. Yeah, definitely. So back outside, he tells DK that he essentially lied to Zan to get psych clearance so that he could, you know, fly the Farscape one again like they want, even though whatever, none of this is real. And then. And then. And then. Okay. I feel like you and I disagreed on this point. Okay. Then we meet. Camp Gay Dargo. Well, he's not Camp Gay because he's, like, super hitting on the women that he sees. He's like, hey, ladies. He's like a suave astronaut. But then later, he's going to be using those same suave moves on John. Like, the thing is that it's not... I mean, he, he did... We get a scene with him where he's acting camp gay, but it, it's not consistent through the episode. It just happens to make well, John uncomfortable. Well, he's very flamboyant through this. And 
DK refer DK 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 refers to him as the straight boy. No, no, Dar when when Dargo uh, when Dargo sees John, he's like, "Oh look, a straight boy." You know what? You're right. I take it back. I take it back, especially because John says to DK, "You see that he has tentacles, right?" He has face tentacles, and DK says, "It's a lifestyle choice." Yeah. So the way that being an alien was a metaphor for race with Zan, I feel like it's being used as a metaphor for sexuality here. Oh boy, we're hitting all of the uh all of the uh alien yeah. X-Men is a great way to tell stories about the minority experiences while only focusing on white people, on white straight people. Yeah. On white straight cis people. Yep. But this this Dargo, who is whose name is Gary, is as I said a hotshot astronaut. So the deal is that he's going to uh, usurp John, and they're going to give the Farscape One project to him. Not that John cares about any of this, because this is this is this is all brain bullshit. <laughs> so he's like, you know what? Fine, whatever. Let's go get loaded. And Dargo pats DK on the face, and he's like. There's always time to get loaded. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so John and Dargo are going to take off in Dargo's red convertible and go to a bar in the middle of the afternoon because why not? Nothing matters. This isn't real. And uh, at the bar, John is trying to explain to Dargo what's going on, even though Dargo obviously is not Dargo. He's created in John's mind. And John tells Dargo that... This is all an experiment. Someone's messing with his brain, which, I mean... Lots of people are messing with your brain, John. Yeah, also, it's like, that's not a theory. He says, I've got a theory. It's not a theory, John. That's just what's obviously happening. It's not a theory until you have an idea about who's doing it. If you're perhaps putting forth that it might be witches. That right, would be a theory. Right, some evil witches. <laughs> or, or maybe bunnies. <laughs> So, the bar they're at has a band. Yes, it does. And in the band... Scorpius on drums. Scorpius on drums. And also... Pilot. Pilot pilot on keyboard and also bongos. But not a drum kit. Right? Scorpius is playing the drum kit... Pilot is playing the keyboard with some of his arms and bongos with the other arms. It's incredible. They got a real Jimmy Buffett thing going on. Yes. And Dr. Aaron shows up and she's all like, Hi, now that I'm off duty, I'm super into banging my patients. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. And, And John introduces her to... To, to Darko. And she just like straddles him and starts making out with him. And she's like, wait, do you know him? And she's like, nope, just met. We're just saying hello. And John's like, most people don't say hello with their tongues. I mean. Oh, wait. <laughs> John's like, you know what? I need to be more drunk for this. So he goes to the bar and who is sitting at the bar but Scorpius? Also Scorpius. And John's like. Okay, why two? Why two Scorpiuses? Right, why is there a Scorpius at the bar and also a Scorpius playing drums? 
And the Scorpius at the bar is like, yeah, John, I'm not part of this. Listen to me, because I'm not part of this. I am like a different thing that's been done to your brain, and now I'm trapped here with you. Yeah. Like, look, I know there's a lot going on right now, and I know you don't want to trust me because of that thing where I want to suck all of that knowledge out of your brain. I know you don't want to trust me because of that thing where I'm an evil chip already installed into your brain. But like, look. I need you to be sane for me to get the information I need. So I need to get you out of here before you go insane. And John's like, mm. John assumes that since Scorpius is not part of the delusion, he must be the one controlling the delusion and starts to attack him. And Scorpius is like, nope, nope, not going to happen. I'm out of here. So john chokes yeah somebody starts force choking him or at least it looks like someone's force choking him we'll we'll find out later that what's happening is the scarin who's doing this spoilers it's a scarin doing that heat thing that we saw in look at the princess Mm. and he's doing the heat thing to john and he like turned it up too high and john's like choking yeah then there's like a super cool shot where john falls to the ground and his eye is open and you see two different reflections of Scorpius in his eye because he's he's looking at drum playing Scorpius. And so you see Scorpius in the iris of his eye, but then a bigger Scorpius reflected in the color part. What's the color part of your eye called? The iris. Oh, right. So you see him reflected in the pupil and in the iris. So you see like two Scorpiuses overlaid over each other. It's an awesome effect and like... Yeah, it, it's really cool, and it seems like it wouldn't be super complicated to do. Yeah, and the thing is, it's like it's subtle enough mm. that it's not. I, I mean, when you when you say out loud what it is, the metaphor is like kind of pounding you on the head. But it's subtle enough that you, you don't necessarily see it unless you're looking closely. So yeah, it's very cool. So John wakes up back in not Zan's office. And John's talking about gaslighting. Oh, yeah. I forgot that he talked about gaslighting. He's like, someone's gaslighting me. Although, as I said, what's the opposite of gaslighting? That's what someone's doing to you, John. So he assumes that Scorpius is the one who's gaslighting him. And Zan's like, okay, so let's say the Scorpius guy is gaslighting you. What does he have to gain for, you know, from it? And he's like, I don't know. Maybe he'll get the wormhole knowledge somehow. And Zen's like, how would he get the wormhole knowledge from driving you crazy? And he's like, I don't know. And, and John is like so confused because he says, he's like, look, if it had just been Aaron as the doctor, then maybe they could have pulled it off and messed with me. But you're here and Dargo's here and Scorpius and Pilot are here. Like how, what, what's the game? What, what is the end game here? And I do really like this point for John. He's, like, hugging the pillow and talking to Zan. And he talks about how uh, he misses Moya, and at some point, Moya became his new normal. Yes. Like, there's a point where he just adjusted, and now being in the place where he's wanted to be just feels alien and off, even... You know, even with the understanding that this is definitely some sort of mind trick meant to do something presumably bad. You know, the opening credits, and we've taken one of our segment names from that, the looking for a way home. Mm -hmm. I don't think I'm spoiling too much here to say that John doesn't have a home to be looking for anymore. 
Like that's this isn't home anymore. Mm. Even even when even not taking into account that this is a delusion being brought on by an alien heat ray. Like this is no longer John's home. So therapist Anne tells him, like, look, sure, maybe that's one explanation for you know maybe some aliens doing this to you or maybe there's another explanation and john's like yeah maybe i finally broke maybe i've been having a psychotic episode coming a really long time and i'm not crazy on earth i'm crazy on moya and this is my brain just trying to sort things out right like a reverse normal again yeah what's weird is zan never states what her maybe there's another possibility was she yeah. says, maybe there's another possibility. And he says, yes, maybe I'm on Moya going crazy, like you said. And then that's the end of the scene. Then we cut to him outside the office again. Mm. And this is the second time that we've had a scene with Zan that cuts off abruptly, right? Because last time he comes out and he tells DK, oh, yeah, I, I told her what she wanted to hear, but we don't see any of that. And here we don't see Zan's analysis. It's like the the simulation can't have John in Zan's office too long because the whole point of a psychiatrist's office is that you're looking into your brain. So he can't stay there long. That's why the scenes have to cut off before they naturally would. Yeah, even, I mean, I can't really speak from experience here, but I'm assuming even a bad psychiatrist, like, there's going to be some introspection and that's the enemy of what they're trying to do here. Yes, yes. So, there's a new boss guy. Oh. There's a new boss guy who's in charge of Iasa, and he's here to, he's here to kick ass, and he's, you know, so mad at John, and he's gonna fire John and have his entire family killed. He's here to cut your budget and chew bubblegum, and he's all out of bubblegum. John's like, let me guess, super pale, lugs S&M equipment, and John's dad's like, I don't know what he does in his spare time. He's short. And John's like, uh. Yeah. John goes into the office and it's Rigel. Rigel is the new boss of Iasa that's gonna cut his budget if he doesn't suck up to him. He's wearing a wee tiny suit. I do love that they replaced his hover chair with just a regular office chair. But it still, like, moves on its own like the hover chair does. Yeah, like, and the fact that this is just a regular office chair, so there's just some guy on the floor pushing it around. <laughs> That's true. Oh, so Rigel's like, tell me why I shouldn't fire you. And John's like, fire me. And Rigel's like, fine, I'll give you one more chance. Like... <laughs> I, I love, I mean, it's it, it's a railroad plot. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, which is great because, you know, we we have talked about this show as a, uh, as a role-playing game many, many times. And it's true. It's like the, the GM doesn't have a plot other than this. So no matter what John does, they're going to send him up for the second attempt in the Farscape 1 because... That's the plot. So if he's not going to beg for his job back, they'll just give it to him. If he's going to throw Rigel's business cards into his face like some sort of American psycho gambit, <laughs> then that's what he's going to do, but he's still going to keep his job. I wish 
I wish we still gave our episodes titles because American Psycho Gambit is great. Thank you. That just came to me. So, yeah, Rachel kind of just acts like John is not talking or throwing cards. And he's like, look, there's... From a PR perspective, it's better to have the guy who screwed it up still in charge. And DK's like, really? And he's like, yes, who's the big boss here? So, John decides that that's what's going on whoever is in charge of his head is trying to get him to do the experiment again so that they can figure out the wormhole knowledge and he's like jokes on you i have no idea how i made a wormhole i do love he he has another oz reference he's like oh so you want to see how the twister sucked me to oz well up yours little man no clue also he is a cigar he has a cigar and he's playing with a little toy rocket ship. <laughs> yeah, I, he, this, this is, this is a John who does not have any fucks left to give. Anyway, when he leaves the office and his dad and DK are following him like, hey, how come you don't care about the mission and you're not sucking up to Rigel? He's like, okay, you all notice that he's a tiny little lizard man, right? Like he's a tiny little fish king. And they're like. I don't think being mean about his looks is going to help us out here, John. <laughs> they specifically say, I don't think there's any reason to bring his disability into this. You're right. It's another alien metaphor. Yeah. Weird. Weird. So. <laughs> anyway, Rachel shows up in a golf cart. <laughs> Rachel shows up in a golf cart to yell at John. And John kisses him on the mouth and then throws him down his staircase. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry, throws him off a staircase. Yeah, he, he goes to the top of a stairwell, and then he does, like, a, a, a hammer up. throw, like, where he spins him around. Yeah. And then lets him go. And his dad and DK are like, John, and I love it. He just looks at him and goes, what? Like, he's like, you know what? What? There's no point in playing along with this. I thought maybe if I played along, I'd find a way out, but that's not working out, so fuck it. You're not getting anything. Screw you. Screw you. You're all fictional. Whatever. You know, Ben Browder is really good at playing someone who's coming apart. Mm. I it Which, spoilers, will serve him well later on as this show continues. So, John's back at the bar. Yeah, why not? Why not? And who should happen to be at this bar? Why, it's Dr. Bettina Fairchild making out with Chiana, whose name is Jessica, by the way. God. So John sees Scorpius in the next booth, and he's like, hey, do you all see Scorpius sitting there? And they're all like, nope, definitely not. And he's like, ugh. Ugh. Cut to all of them in the convertible again. Like, just hauling ass down the road in the convertible and john's like this well, is backcountry life sucks nothing matters <laughs> like you know what screw it and he's just driving as fast as he can he's like yolo and everyone in the car is just into it and dancing and then and then he hits scorpius okay but he just i, I, I don't Scorpius. I think Scorpius flings himself at the windshield and he's like, John, stop fucking around. We have to talk. And John's like, 
you're not real. None of this is real. And Scorpius is like, yes, none of this is real, but someone's trying to drive you crazy and I need you to not be crazy. So you need to cut this out. And then John crashes into a truck. John drives the car directly into a truck and we smash cut to him waking up in the same hospital room. And Dr. Aaron is there, but her hair is in these giant rollers. Yeah, like comically oversized rollers. And she's like, I'm afraid the truck won. And he's like, wait, why aren't we dead? And she's like, we were very, very lucky. Like. Okay, so it's really weird in this episode because it goes from this very comedic stuff to a heavy scene this is like it's mood whiplash but in a way that works because it makes you feel all of what john is feeling in this whole scenario and it's like even if you were kind of laughing at the scenario before this next scene like hits you in the face and makes you feel how uncomfortable it is for john because the person who comes into the hospital room oh well aaron's like there's someone here to see you and he's like who Bylar Crace, another deep cut reference. A Xiang. Those are the lizard people that breathe fire. Yeah. The the frogmen who who burp fireballs. Right. From uh, PK Tech Girl. Yeah. And it's not. It's his mom. His mom who died before he left to go on the mission. And it's a really intense scene because he just wants his mom to be back. And she just like holds him and honestly like as funny as the rest of this episode is this like breaks my heart and makes me cry she tells john that he's a different person now because he's done really dark things you know he's killed people and john tells her he he's done what he had to do to survive and oh it's just i'm crying now i'm I'm crying now it's like so rough it works so well. Yeah, it's it's a really good scene. His mom is sort of, I feel like she's sort of the linchpin of what's going to drive him over the edge here. Like, yeah, because she's offering him sort of, it's this weird halfway point between She's trying to comfort him. She's trying to let him know that everything will be okay. But she's also, but by doing that, she's reminding him, like, in the course of doing that, she's reminding him that he's not the person she knew when she was alive. Well, because all of this is coming from out of John's brain, they're able to create they the the scarin is able to create the person he most wants to see and have that person say john's deepest fears in his head which is his fear that he is somehow tainted yeah tainted yeah by by what's happened to him well she talks about how like when he was a kid he was so full of wonder he you know he wanted to find the mysteries of the universe and that part of him is just gone now which is very upsetting to hear, and it's very upsetting that that's John's fear, but it's okay. It's not gone. <laughs> I, I, like, I need to say that to, like, feel better, but it's actually going to become, I, I, the, the opening credits are going to change. We talked about, and you know what? I'm, 
I wasn't going to tell you this until they actually did change, but I feel like this episode is so important for the change in the opening credits because uh, one of the th- what John says in the opening credits is, I'm just looking for a way home, and that's going to change to look upward and see the wonder that I've seen. Because at a point coming very soon, John is no longer looking for a way home. Hmm. But... It's a really easy button to push for, you know, yeah, emotional stuff. But, but God, God, does it work. Yep. They Oof. run away bunnied us. Yeah. Yeah, right? Which, I'm sorry, I, I had trouble with that book before. Mm-mm. But I've tried to read it to our daughter a couple of times and I can't get through it. It yeah. is I, I cry re- trying to read that to Sam. It, oh my god. It is an impossible book to read if you are a parent. <laughs> oh. Also, I, I tweeted this out when we were watching The Body. Mm-hmm. But since I became a parent, parent stuff has shifted so much where like um I feel like before you're a parent, seeing that stuff brings up all of the all of the feelings you have towards your own parents. Yeah. But now when I watch parent stuff like that, like where, where a mother has died, I'm like petrified of leaving my daughter alone. Like that's like the fear has become so much worse. Yeah. It, Cause it gets another dimension. Yeah. I mean, a lot of Buffy, we, when we were doing our rewatch, a lot of Buffy hasn't aged great there's a lot of stuff it's still a show that's near and dear to my heart even with all of the stuff that's come out about it recently but despite all of that Mm -hmm. the body still hits i think the body might be like a perfect hour of television it it's legitimately i think one of the most emotionally wrenching things you can watch just i mean if i need to make myself cry and Dear listeners, as you know, it is very easy to make me cry. I was literally just crying at the previous scene. But if I need to make myself cry, all I have to do is remember Anya's Anya's speech. speech. Yeah. God. And it's because it's just a series of really, really small moments. That's what really makes it such a crushing episode. I don't even think there's background music in it, really. There's, There's not. Until the very end, after Buffy fights the vampire in the morgue. But it's just like, it's just a lot of long silences. It's a lot of like slow angled shots and it just gets you really immersed in the moment. I know we've gone off on this complete tangent where we're talking about Buffy now, but it's the power of mom stuff. Yeah. Like Futurama, the, the later episodes of Futurama are not good. And honestly, most of the episode this takes place in isn't good. But uh, you you remembered the one with the the sound that uh, everyone yes, in the universe. Yes, Game of Tones. Yeah, like oh. honestly, most of that episode is really bad. But, but the, the scene, last scene with his mother. Oh, yeah, where where he gets to have that one last conversation with her, and he asks uh, he he asks if uh, if she'll remember it, and uh, and they tell him that she won't remember it, but she'll remember that she had it mm-hmm. and it's his last chance to say goodbye got all of the you know what pam halpert on the office is right motherhood <laughs> makes you weak <laughs> oh okay 
So John goes back to the bar and he sees Scorpius sitting at the bar and is like, all right, Scorpius, let's just whatever. I can't take this anymore. What? 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 And Scorpius is like, what? Oh, wrong Scorpius. What it is, man. What it is. (laughs) Yes, this is band Scorpius, not John's brain Scorpius. Yeah. I poor John. Poor John. He's like, oh, my God finally reaches out to Scorpius for help and oh and then we get a truly truly disturbing scene where John's mother comes into the bar before when she came into the hospital she was wearing like a sweater set that presumably she wore in life but now she is in a robe and carrying an IV pole and she's like on the verge of death and we learned that when she died, John wasn't there because he was, like, afraid to be there when she died. And so that is tormenting him now. Mm. She's telling him that, you know, she's scared and she doesn't want to be alone. And, oh, it's horrifying. The, the, the grief and the guilt that she's, like, pulling out of John. It's, it's raw. Yeah, it is. And he, and he says, he says, like, no, this is... Like, it, this is cruel. This is too much. You can't do this to me. Mm-hmm. And it's really, really rough. It is... Yeah. It is legitimately hard to watch. It really is. So, John leaves and he's walking outside when a cop... Who's actually Bylar Christ? Uh, I mean, they have the actor. He's the voice of Pilot, so. Yeah, yeah. He, uh, he asks John what his problem is, but then he recognizes him as the astronaut that crashed that module. And John flips out and starts punching him, like, a lot. Yeah, yeah. He, Christ says that he's gonna take John into the, the drunk tank. Because John is obviously drunk, and John beats him what looks like to death and grabs his gun and leaves and goes back to Rigel's office, and everyone is gathered there waiting for him. And in the last scene we had in Rigel's office, there were no pictures on the wall, I looked, but now pictures are going to start appearing. And the first picture we see is of everybody gathered in Rigel's office. Like, what he's seen in front of him is the picture on the wall. That actually reminds me of one of my favorite American dad jokes, where uh, Stan is looking at a series of pictures of uh, Roger and his mom's relationship, and the last picture in the row of pictures that he's looking at is a picture of him looking at all of the other pictures. Nice. So John goes down the row of pictures and, like, the next picture is Dargo riding the space shuttle like like uh, Slim Pickens at the end of Dr. Strangelove. Yeah. And then the picture next to that is Scorpius holding a gold record. And he's like... Okay, you know what? We're back into the, we're back into the surrealism thing. I can handle that. I can handle like all of the goofy stuff. Yeah, the surrealism is so much better than like the realism. The <laughs> realism was too much realism. <laughs> and I love him kind of dinking around with this American flag. Well, everyone's like uh, talking about so going over the edge, huh, John? 
Yeah, they're like, John, you're acting so strange. And he's just like, what, what, whatever. (laughs) And he takes out a gun and he starts shooting at the people in the room. Yeah, so he tries to shoot his dad, but the bullet goes right through his dad and hits the picture of Scorpius. And he tries to shoot DK, but it goes right through DK and it hits the picture on the wall. And Rigel's like, really? Really? So John is still firing off the gun and Zan's like... I'm hungry. Let's go get Thai. And he's like, wait, what about pizza? Like, they're, they're just talking about what to have for lunch. And John starts screaming. And then we cut to him back in the hospital room. But instead of on a hospital bed, now he's on what looks like a dentist chair. Mm. And Grace is there. Holding a, holding a little dog. <laughs> holding a little dog, right? Yeah, and his little dog, too. And his little dog, too. And Grace is like... Grace tells him that he is in big trouble for beating a police officer and stealing his gun and trying to... Five counts of attempted murder. Yes, he tells him the fine is $29. And then he holds up the dog as if this wasn't clear enough and says, Toto! And walks out of the room. Yes, John says, wow, this thing is going completely off the rails. (laughs) Like he's watching the last season of Once Upon a Time or something. Oof. And Scorpius pops up. And good news, good news, good news. It's the Scorpius he wants. Yeah, it's it's the Scorpius that was creepily chipped into his head in the Aurora chair instead of the fake drummer Scorpius. So, Scorpius brought visual aids. He lights up the x-ray thing and he's like, look, there's a Scaron who captured you while you were on the Commerce Planet. He's using his brain powers, you know, on you, but he's also using his heat powers. And when he's using too much of his heat powers, I can't talk to you because even brain Scorpius has the whole weakness to heat thing. Well, also when he uses the heat power, it's how it's when he's like super reading John's mind. So when it gets too hot, he's in danger of discovering that Scorpius, the chip is in there. Hmm. And the reason that... The Scarin is doing this to John is because he's trying to basically break his brain so that he can scoop out the reason that Scorpius is after John. Because the Scarins know from the look at the princess planet that Scorpius is after John and they figure if Scorpius wants him for some strategic military reason, then they should know what that is. Yeah. And this is also, we've been hinting around it, or I've been hinting around it. This is also where we explicitly learn what is going on with the Scorpius that John has been seeing, which is that it was a neural chip that was implanted into John's brain. Speaking of Buffy. Yes. Except this chip, instead of, well, I was going to say instead of keeping him from killing, but we do learn that it's the reason he couldn't kill Scorpius. But that's not its main function. Its main function is to send out its tendrils into John's brain and suck out the sweet, sweet wormhole knowledge. And so John decides that that means that Scorpius is Harvey, like Harvey the rabbit. From From Harvey. From Harvey. Technically, he was a puka, which is, yes, a giant rabbit, but they bring you luck. Ah. Well, uh, the... I think you're supposed to leave something in your house to attract them. Mm. It's a folklore thing. I figured. Well, John's going to call Chip Scorpius Harvey, which is then also how the fandom is going to refer to him for 
ever, ever to distinguish him from actual Scorpius. So mm. there's Harvey and there's actual Scorpius. Harvey gonna harve. Harvey's gonna harve. So I also like how Harvey is like, well, A, I have a vested interest in, you know, keeping you alive because I need to get the information out of you. And B, because I am in your body, and if your body dies, it's bad for me, the guy who lives in your brain. Right? Because this isn't Scorpius, this is Harvey. This is, this is his home. Anyway, he tells John. That's where all my stuff is. Exactly. He tells John that the whole point of this world is to push him over the edge. So he needs to not give in to that and just like stay focused on what's real. And also, by the way, you can't kill a Karen with a pulse pistol because their skin is super tough. So figure out something else. In fact, what you need to do is, oh no, here he is. That's all the information I could give you. <laughs> yeah. One more sentence. <laughs> maybe maybe if- lead with it. I was just going to say, maybe if you hadn't, like, fucked around with all that taunting, but, yeah. So the Scarin pops in, and John passes out, and now he's in a psychosexual nightmare where (laughs) Zan is in fetish gear, and Aaron's dressed as, like, a sexy nurse. Yeah, she's wearing, like, one of those rubber nurse suits you would buy at 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 a sex shop, and, yes, Zan is in, like, leather gear, and... Chiana's in her sexy tank top. They're like, actually, Chiana's dressed like a sexy schoolgirl. And they're all like creepy. Yeah. Go to thing. Yes. You know what's sexy? Adult women. (laughs) But they're like, hey, John, you've totally fantasized about having sex with us before. Although I'm going to say, because of time travel shenanigans later. John has actually had sex with all of these women at this point in his life. Yeah, I mean, not counting time travel shenanigans, he's had sex with at least two of them. Yep, that's true. So, then Rigel pops up in full fetish gear and he's like, Get out of here, bitches, he's mine! And he pops up between John's legs. And he's got a whip! And he's, like, whipping John! And, I mean, the puppet can't do a lot, so the shots are very weird, but that just makes it better that just makes it funnier and he's like he's like calling out all of the nicknames john has called him mockingly in real life he's whipping him and he's like this is for calling me sparky and this is for calling me fluffy and this is for calling me buckwheat which weird like the little rascal yeah he's just calling him he's just calling him names Uh, that are small yeah. yeah so john punches rigel and wanders out and he's apparently in the mama ward. Right. Yeah, the maternity ward, but it's the mama ward. And DK is there, and DK is like... Okay, so yeah, trigger I was warning. Gonna, yeah, I okay, was going to so, talk around it. So self-harm trigger warning? Yes, for the next, like, 60 seconds. DK is like, cut his wrists, and he's like, this is what I had to do because I lost my job because you're terrible. Because you dumped me for your new pals. Yeah. And he's just spraying blood everywhere, and some orderlies pick him up. Pick John up, not DK. Yes, and they strap him into... A bassinet, like he's Benjamin Button or something. 
And they wheel him to his parents. His mother is young now or, you know, looking like I presume she did when John was a child. Honestly, they have kind of a Hank and Joyce Summers from the Buffy the Vampire Slayer movie vibe. Yes, they they both have like a preppy thing going on. And they're like, ah, we never wanted a child. This is terrible. Well, the dad says, I never wanted a child. I wanted a dog. And she says... I only wanted him because you couldn't give me what I really want. Did she want to be impregnated with a dog? I assumed orgasms, which... Ah, that makes more sense. If I'm not getting orgasms, I might as well be someone's mom. I don't even know what to say to that. Weird, weird line of thought there. John's dad actually says that he wanted a terrier, specifically. Hmm. Which I bring up because that's the kind of dog that Crace was carrying, that Toto was. Uh. And then they, like, dump him out of his bassinet and he falls over the same staircase that he threw Rigel off of. So, the car, the a, a police car pulls up and Crace gets out, but he's wearing high heel, like, red hot high heel pumps. Yes, I, but I... But I don't feel like this is a gender thing. At this point, I feel like it's just... It, it's Oz. Red slippers. Oh. Oh. I didn't even realize. Yeah. Yeah, he's wearing the red slippers. Which, you know, one of the reasons that the dad flip that John's dad flips him over is that he can't even fetch him his slippers. And then we hard cut oh, to him. Slippers. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and uh, and he says, I, I have to tell you, I have to say exactly what he says because he's... It's, he says, you're under arrest. You have the right to the remains of a silent attorney. If you cannot afford one, tough noogies. You can make one phone call. I recommend Trixie, 976555-LOVE. And uh, for the, our listeners who are too young to know, 976 used to be, all sex hotlines used to start with 976. Huh. Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah, 976 numbers. I always just go right to the... Uh... The Liz Lemon uh, phone sex line from... Yes. That's not even enough numbers. 555-OK-Face. Then all of a sudden, John is back in Dargo's convertible, and Dargo is... Pressuring him for sex. Yeah, and this is where he's, like, doing the camp gay thing. Like, I feel like the tone of his uh, presentation really changed between what we saw before and what we saw now, because now it's now it's definitely camp gay and he's just like talking about doing things to john with his qualta blade i'm not even making that up (laughs) he talks about a luxon bonding ceremony and they're they're doing a kind of high school sex role play thing where they're they're both in a in a red convertible at makeout creek Yep. And he's like, I think it's time for us to take our relationship to the next level. And then we hard cut back to Zan's psychiatrist office where his mom is in a robe and she's... But like a sexy silk robe now. And she's she's young again. Not like the... Not like she was in the club. And she's like, hey, Oedipus complex much? Oh, Johnny, you're such a smart boy. And John's like, uh. Yeah, poor John. And Zan's just standing in the corner in her uh, in her suit, just like, welp. Then all of a sudden we hard cut, and John is back in the nightclub, and sexy Aaron and sexy Chiara are dancing with him. They're dancing crazy. 
Yeah. And uh, Dargo's there. He 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 is also everybody's uh, dancing really uh, chaotically, and a strobe light is going off, and John has just like reached his limit. And. Darko keeps yelling, boogie or die, boogie or die. And John's like, I don't boogie. And then we get a glimpse of actual Aaron's face. And we know it's actual Aaron because she has her hair pulled back into the tight braid and not like the long, loose curls that Dr. Bettina Fairchild has. And she's like, Crichton, what the hell is going on? What are you doing? What's going on? And John is staring up at the disco ball. I don't know if this is, I don't know if this is intentional or not, but the reflection of one of the lights is really visible in the disco ball, Mm -hmm. creating a little circle, you know, on the, on the edge of the disco ball so that it really looks like the Death Star. Huh. And I, I I don't know if that's intentional, but it it looks so much like the Death Star and then it explodes. So. (laughs) Yeah. Pop culture. Yeah. And Aaron, not Dr. Bettina Fairchild, but Aaron, and you know it's Aaron because she's got her sexy, sexy boots, is there. She shot out the disco ball and she's like, John, I'm here to rescue you. I've been looking for you. We're on the commerce planet. But we're underground. We're in some sort of weird holographic chamber. I destroyed the thing that was making you freak out. Are we done here? But John's not going to be fooled again. We've all seen this movie. We all know what's up, right? Yeah, because she's like, I killed him. I killed... Scorpius. Know, Scorpius. He was the one behind this. And John's like, mm. Yeah. And Aaron gets real close to John. Yeah, she says, she says, why was Scorpius after you? And he's like... No, we're not doing this. Come yeah. on. We're still obviously still in the delusion. Like, come on. Come on. <laughs> and Aaron says, well, fro you then, stay. And then she does this weird thing with her tongue where she, <laughs> like, wriggles it around. <laughs> like, I, I really like that because it, clearly the idea here is that you break him down, you make him think he's escaped, but actually now he's going to tell fake Aaron what what have you what have you but even that fake Aaron has to be a little little off Mm. and then he's back in the delusion and everyone's dancing all sexy and Dargo's still screaming boogie or die and John is very very sweaty again and he does the Richard Nixon peace thing or alternatively flashes the V sign if you're British ah I see I thought he was just I-, I thought he was just succumbing to, to the heat death from-, from his brain being fried. And we flash to some of the more uh, graphic things from his hallucination that he's had. And then we see outside of it, we see John in a chair in some random room. And we see the Scarron, you know, messing with his head and... Turning up the machines and such. Yeah. And turning... He turns it up to ten. I have sucked out an entire year of your life, to quote Princess Bride. Hmm. But it turns out that that was all of the years of John's life because he dies. And the Scarron's like, damn it. 
I didn't have this thing calibrated for this race since I didn't even know what he was. Wah, wah. Yeah. Disappointed Scarin. So awkward. Yeah. And John revives because it turns out that the chip in his brain just mimicked him being dead so that the Scarin would turn away. And John pulls out his gun. And you remember that Scorpius told him that you can't shoot at a Scarin because their skin is so tough. But also you remember we learned in the episode thrown for a loss Mm. that if you overload a pulse pistol, it will explode like a bomb. Yes. And so that's exactly what he does. He sets it to overload. The Scarin looks over to see what that beeping is. And John throws it at him like a grenade and hauls ass out of there. Smart. And and he he shoves it in its mouth. Right, because that's that's how you're gonna kill him, right? That's how you're gonna get through the flesh is through the mouth. The way to a Scarin's heart is down the throat. Hmm. That was that thing in the second Guardians of the Galaxy movie where Drax got himself swallowed by that creature so he could cut it up from the inside. And uh, Gamora pointed out that it was just as tough on the inside as it was on the outside. I'm like, I don't think that's true, though. I feel like your outer skin is a lot thicker than your inner. Yeah. I feel like it would have to be, right? Yeah, like, it felt like one of those things where they're like, oh, like, this is such a trope, but I don't know. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, Oh. I mean, I, I guess it's not really a good idea to. Get swallowed by something? Yes, or I was going to go the other way and say swallow something that's alive. Because eh. it seems like you would be just as vulnerable, but I guess if you were like a giant monster whose like method of hunting was swallowing things whole, it would make sense that you were just as tough on the inside, maybe. Uh, I, I feel like that that was tearing apart a trope for, for no reason. Mm. Anyway... John is in the smoldering ruins of, of you know, this place. And Scorpius shows up, head Scorpius Harvey, and is like, all right, well, I saved you. And John's like, yeah, don't get too comfortable because I am going to get you out of my head. And Scorpius is like, oh, yeah, you can't even tell people I'm in your head because I'm in your head stopping you from telling people. So what up? Chew on that. Credits. You know, maybe maybe this would be a good first episode to show people. I mean, I feel like it's not super based on, like, there's a few continuity points in it, but... I, I feel like there's a lot of continuity porn in this episode, in, in that it really rewards if you've seen everything before and it really remembers what's come before, but I don't know, maybe you could just jump in without... Foreknowledge. Foreknowledge. I mean, the I bring this up a lot, but the episode I like to use to gauge people's interest in Buffy is Gingerbread. Right, you've mentioned that. Which, it's a season three episode. There's a lot of continuity-based stuff in it, but, like, you can just go into it blank not knowing anything about Buffy and enjoy it as a self-contained story, which I feel like you could do here. I feel like it's not super based in, like, there's some... Well, I think what we have to do is find someone who's never seen Farscape and uh, just show them this episode. Yeah, let's do that. Uh. Anyway, next time we're talking about The Locket. Mm -hmm. And the Amazon Prime description of The Locket is 
Crichton and Aaron grow old together on an isolated planet while Moya remains stuck in time. Hmm. So like the Futurama series finale. Yeah, except... Way before that. Yeah, except 15 years before that aired. Hmm. All right, so I believe that will bring us to our segments. Yes, it will. Okay, so our first segment is Strange Alien Creatures, where we talk about any puppets or makeup or anything like that that worked for you in this episode. Okay, so I'm not sure if this will really count, but it's weird. I really like the uh, Rigel dressed as, you know, like Rigel dressed in the business suit and then Rigel dressed in the S&M gear. I was like, okay, it's really cute that they had to make the little outfits for him. Yes. Well, I mean, mine is kind of along those same lines because I really loved the way that they put Zan and Dargo in, you know, Earth clothes. Like, full-on alien makeup, but then Earth clothes. Like, it, it especially, we didn't mention what Dargo was wearing because Dargo was wearing, like, a typical 1990s golfing outfit, right? With, like, golf pants and, like, an Argyle sweater. Yeah. Was it? Oh, and he even had he even had golf gloves on because Anthony Simcoe doesn't have hand makeup. Usually, he's just wearing Dargo's gloves. Yeah. So they had to give him something to be wearing. <laughs> clever. Yes. Those clever, clever costumers. Anyway, our second segment is a distant part of the universe, which is what world building worked for you here. Which uh, is a weird thing because we were not in the world here, were we? We were just in John's head. I feel like this is going to intersect with my last one, uh, looking for a way home, mm-hmm. because I feel like finding out about John's mom yeah. was really good. I'm not sure if world building would be the word for it, but it. I feel like it explains a lot about John as a character. Yeah, it's... It's definitely character building. Mm. Like it's building the it's building John's interior world, and and that's my looking for a way home as well. The the scene that resonated with me is the one that I was literally crying during when we were talking about it, where John sees his mother again and thinks about how much he's changed since he went into space. Oh, I really liked the first few episodes of WandaVision. Mm-hmm. And I feel like. In the last part, it it really needed to bring home the whole grief over loss thing. Mm-hmm. And it didn't. Because I was thinking about how much harder this hit me than any of the stuff from WandaVision, which is a show about grief. Well, I know that this show has just been like a little adventure show for the most part. And even even this episode is like a funny episode. But as we get more into it, it is definitely going to be an exploration of trauma and grief in the way that we were hoping WandaVision would be. So buckle up. Hmm. Again, I like WandaVision. It just it it massively failed to stick the landing. Yeah, I mean, I loved WandaVision, but the last episode, (laughs) you know. You know, it was a it was a pastiche of all of these different television shows, and in the last episode, it decided to be an MCU show, and that turns out that's the one kind of TV show I was uninterested in watching. Yeah. It turns out that WandaVision was inside the MCU the whole time. The real WandaVision was the MCU plots we laid along the way. So that'll about do it for this yeah, week. Yeah, that'll 
do it for this week. Our show is partially listener supported. If you want to be one of our supporters, you should head over to our website, www.welcometotelevision.net, and click on our Patreon link. We'd like to thank our current $5 and above patrons, Beryl, Patricia, Sam, Cassidy, Alex, Alicia, Ryan, Maricruz, Rosa, Javier, Benjamin, Kyle, Kate, and Jen. If you'd like to support the show in other ways, you could always rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find the show. If you want to talk about this episode, or any episode, or any episode of any television show, you should join our Facebook group, Welcome to Television. We can also be contacted at I love TV zines on Twitter, or at I love television zines at gmail.com. So until next time, I'm Tina. And I'm Max. And this has been Welcome to the Uncharted Territories. <laughs>